This is an ABC podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, gather around. I would love to share with you a story. Stories are what our lives are made up of. Storytelling <laughs> is joke telling. I am a storyteller. And this is my story. We are all unreliable narrators of our own lives. The point is that these are stories that we can listen to. These are stories that we can learn from. In the end, that's all we really are, right? We're just stories. You can think of today's episode of Future Tense as a kind of story, a cautionary tale, if you like, about the power and prominence of storytelling. Stories, like opinions, have become a necessity of modern life. Everybody is encouraged to have an opinion and everybody, in the vernacular of countless motivation speakers, is encouraged to be the hero of their own story. Hello, Anthony Fennell here. Welcome to the program. There's nothing wrong with a good story, of course. Stories can be a very effective means of communication and entertainment. But are we in danger of making too much of them? If the story form becomes the central device for much of our communication, do we risk losing our sense of objective reality? All of our guests today are communicators and storytellers themselves in one form or another. So let's hear their perspectives. I'm Nick Morgan. I'm president of Public Words, Inc., a communications consulting company. Dr. Morgan describes the story as an essential human tool. What a story is good for is that it places a map essentially on reality. It places a structure on reality. The philosophers tell us that reality is is chaotic and not guaranteed. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We think we know, and we tell ourselves stories that help us make sense out of our lives and create structures for us so that we can sleep at night and we can get up in the day and go to work thinking that we're part of a plan, a story that we're telling ourselves. So uh, the limits of story are you need to realize that it is just that. It's a story. It's, in effect, a supposition or an argument that you're making with the world. It may or may not be true. It may or may not come true. A simple example, the uh, student who graduates from high school and decides to go to college because he or she thinks getting a degree is a worthwhile activity. That's a story you're telling yourself. You're, you're saying, I'm the hero of this story. I'm going to go on a quest to achieve a diploma, and I'm going to get something valuable out of that. Well, you don't have as much control over the next four years or, or however long it takes as you think, but it, the story helps us get through those four years. Nick Morgan argues the human mind is structured to remember stories, not facts. Now, the world is full of worry, concern and potential conflict. So does that help explain why there's been a rise in talk around the importance of stories and storytelling? The rise in negativity and the rise in concern really has a number of factors. I think some of them have to do with storytelling or some of them give rise to a heightened interest in storytelling. Some of them have to do with the increase in speed in modern life, the increase in the amount of data we have to make sense of every day. We we feel information overloaded. We feel that things are a little chaotic. And you add on top of uh, all the trends that which already existed a year ago, you add a pandemic on top of that. And the result is we feel a bit under siege. 
and so uh, we use stories to make sense of that chaos, to try to bring a little order to the chaos. And the alternative is to think or to try to remember in terms of lists and concepts and to try to organize our mind the way textbooks are organized, let's say. And that doesn't have the same effect for us because it doesn't give us that sense of security that comes from the emotion that storytelling brings. Famously, of course, many people at the moment are wary of facts and of expertise. <laughs> Is there, in your view, a, a connection between that and the rise of the idea of, of, of the story as a, as a preeminent form of communication? Yeah, that's the sort of dark side of storytelling, isn't it? If uh, we can spin a good yarn that appears to cover the facts as we see them, then that's one thing. But if we're just making up the facts or avoiding them altogether, then that's another. Unfortunately, we seem to be living in a fairly uh, fact-free zone these days. At least many of us do. And so any kind of storytelling will do. But there are a number of aspects to that that are important, such as in a public sphere, in a political sphere, we're trying to uh, operate a democracy, say here in the United States, then facts are very important to our storytelling. And we let go of those and we're in dangerous territory indeed. But does the emotional and persuasive side of storytelling make it harder for people to distinguish between stories based on fact and stories based on fiction? There is this striking handsome man walking beside the most famous woman in the world. Who is he? What's your name? Philip. Philip what? It's just Philip. All men must step into the unknown. You are a mystery man. It was interesting after the recent death of the Duke of Edinburgh how many in the media, including the news media, seemed to rely on the fictional series The Crown as a source of historical reference. Now, for writer and cultural historian Maria Tamarkin, our focus on storytelling is problematic because it's increasingly seen as an end in itself not just as the means to an end. We do live in a curious cultural moment where it seems that storytelling is everywhere and is the answer to kind of most questions we may want to ask about how societies work, about how we as individuals work and so forth. So we're told time and time again that we make sense of our lives and the world around us through stories that we think and actually process complex information and lived experiences through stories, that we develop morality, compassion, empathy, ability to respond appropriately to other people's stories and experiences through stories, and that, in fact, communities are held together by stories as well. So, in effect, where would we be without stories seems to be the kind of the logical conclusion to be reached from that. And we have, of course, a kind of psychological strand in our society that tells us that identity is essentially a process of self-narrativization. We tell ourselves a story about who we are and that's how we actually develop identity and continue developing it through our lives. And of course, you know, Facebook would be an example of that kind of the telling of our story to the world and to ourselves, the curating of our experiences into a particular story for public consumption in one way or another. And of course, there are many, many examples like that. And philosophers tell us that unnarrated life is not worth living, that there is something kind of fundamentally important to the narrative that we construct around our lives and without it, our life lacks meaning. 
So there has almost been a naturalisation of the idea of the story and the idea that our lives should be curated and should be described or thought of in story format. But when you look at stories, they are constructs, aren't they? They aren't natural. They are mediated devices for communication. Absolutely. Life is not a story. Life doesn't work as a story. And the idea that that's how we think, that's how we arrive at meaning, that's how we respond to complex ideas and to the world that is kind of changing in front of us and in a state, particularly now, in a state of constant upheaval. So the idea is that the kind of the preeminent and natural, and you talk about kind of that being naturalised and normalised, this idea that everything happens through stories. This is simply not true. And yet stories are, I would say, the dominant cultural form of the present moment. It does seem to be kind of a self-evident truth, of course. You know, that's how we communicate with each other. That's how we understand ourselves in the world. But as you say, it is absolutely a construct. And it's a very problematic construct if we actually do not look with kind of clarity and sobriety at it. If we're completely seduced by it, persuaded that this is kind of the most powerful, the most universal thing we've got, then it's a problem. I mean, I love narratives. I'm a writer. I tell stories. I believe that they are incredibly powerful. But I think there is a certain kind of fanaticism in this unwavering faith in the story, in the narrative, uh, which has kind of infiltrated every aspect of society. And I think that's the bit that we need to be thinking about. Well, I think the issue with thinking of everything as being a story in culture is it kind of expands the concept of a story to the point of sort of meaninglessness. Daniel Stanley, the creative director at Cohere Partners and the founder of the Future Narratives Lab in the UK. You know, if everything's a story, then nothing's a story, really. It stops being a useful concept. And I think it does also kind of simplify culture. Culture is actually a really complex thing. We need to think about it properly if we're going to try and understand how we relate to each other and and what determines a lot of our behaviour. But if we just try and boil that down too much to this idea of, oh, it's just stories, you know, I think it kind of makes us discouraged from really dealing with the complexity that's there. And one of the issues with that in particular is the way it kind of positions us as individuals fundamentally. So you have sort of stories and then we're just kind of slightly mindless individuals that these stories then cause to do things, which I think is a regressive way of thinking about individuals and about psychology and culture. And it kind of misses out the social aspect of that, where there's different types of concepts and there's different ways in which we understand them and relate to each other around them. And to just think of them all as being stories, I just don't think it reflects the real complexity of culture and of society. Daniel Stanley says a fundamental problem with storytelling is the focus it puts on technique rather than the nature and content of the stories we tell. You know, that is one of the fundamental problems with this idea that storytelling offers, this sort of promise that you can find a method that can just make anything, any subject matter attractive to any audience, because it takes the attention that you put off listening to like what people are saying or or trying to understand how people might react according to their specific characteristics. And it puts it back onto your own self as like, you're the communicator. What can I do? What is my method? How can I do things? And, you know, my belief is that effective communication is always about trying to understand the specific context, the specific audience, 
the other things that they're hearing at the time and how they might be relate what you're saying to that. And and so I think when you focus on method on your own kind of internal, like this is how I'm going to do it for everybody, you're actually taking away effort and concentration from that job of really understanding the people that you're communicating to and the situation that you're communicating in and the subject matter you know, that you're communicating about. So does it risk putting the person who's telling the stories, the storyteller, above that of the, the reader or the listener, their interests above that? Yeah, I think it is fundamentally quite a hierarchical way of thinking about communication as well, that it kind of, you know, the reality is, I think that communication is a, a much more of a participative kind of a relational thing. It's about a kind of negotiation between the speaker and listener. And then that's the reality of communication, I think. And good communication takes that into account. Whereas, you know, if you're just thinking about, well, what is my story that I'm trying to get across to those people? I want to come up with a great story that makes these people think in this way. You're not doing justice to the challenge that there is. And you're also not really paying enough attention to the people that you're communicating with. And the danger of that, I think, can be that you often as well, that you, you don't realize the, the sort of unintended consequences of some of the stuff that you're communicating about because you're just thinking about the result you're trying to get rather than really trying to dig into the situation that you're in. Unintended consequences in what way? Well, often a lot of the background around what makes for this good idea of good storytelling and like a really great story across all contexts is based on this idea that fundamentally there is some sort of basic structure across all stories and all cultures that makes a story powerful. And one of the most influential examples of this is the idea of the hero's journey, which was a a theory put forward by a guy called Joseph Campbell in the 40s. And this was that you can look across all the kind of myths of different cultures across world history. And you can kind of boil those down and say, this is the uber story, you know, the monomyth, I believe he called it. And then from that, you can kind of learn, this is the structure we should apply whenever we want to tell a good story anywhere. And I think, you know, that's been a very persuasive thing for a lot of people. It's been used quite effectively in the world of film, but it gets taken on. And then people think of this as, okay, well, we can use this everywhere. But actually, I think when you dig into these kind of approaches, this you start to see some slightly troubling things where, you know, you wouldn't really accept, I don't think today, the idea of a Western academic sort of trying to boil down cultures from all over the world throughout history into their own little you know, summary of what it all means and that be accepted as, as being universally true. And I think when you realise where this is coming from and what's been done, you start to question, are some of the values of that era or even of these original stories being taken through and in, in, into this kind of structure that's being suggested? And do we want those values to be the things that we're communicating about? And there's a lot of, in the hero's journey, it's much about kind of lone heroism and kind of redemption and individual sort of story of transformation. And that's not necessarily, especially if we're thinking about kind of what we want the future to be like, it's not necessarily what we need more of at this point. So yeah, I think there's often a, a danger that you can have unintended consequences like that. There is also, isn't there, an emphasis in a lot of communication on the idea of the personal story, of personal anecdotes. Mm -hmm. I know in journalistic circles that's almost seen as being more credible Mm -hmm. than any other kind of story. How do you see that? I mean, is that also problematic? It's an interesting one because I think that that relates not only to sort of storytelling but to a kind of a wider question about sort of you see a lot around lived experience and the idea that, you you know, people have in their own kind of personal experience of something a truth that is greater than anyone else can, can give to the situation. And I think there's definitely, again, there's an element of truth in that and a lot of the time 
certainly like institutions and experts and this may be one of the reasons that they've lost the trust that they have you know have not treated people's personal experiences with enough value i think that does have to be balanced out with the fact that it's very easy for us as we know to get a skewed picture of any situation from our own perspective you know and particularly in emotional situations or, or where we can be under a lot of stress or it means a lot to us in terms of politics or something else you know and so i think we just have to be careful that we don't put personal stories down as being more than what they are i think which is an important part of the situation it should never be neglected but ultimately we only approach truth through a more social interaction between us you only look at kind of finding out what's actually happened by comparing different personal stories finding information and having that all out there and being kind of debated and discussed the story of australia is the story of me it's the story of you it's the story of we one day one community thousands of moments captured in one story our story this is who we are and our stories are your stories. So I am a professional research communications consultant, and I've been in research communications working with scientists and researchers for 25 years. I'm Bob Lalish, and I'm the CEO and founder of Science Plus Story. And my industry, the research industry, academics, people in think tanks, people in research centers, over the last 10 years have been inundated with the concept that storytelling is the way or one of the primary ways to break through to audiences that we can't break through to, that we should tell good stories and better stories, and that stories are a way of conveying our authenticity a way of activating our audience's emotions to make them more receptive to our ideas, a way of demonstrating our own emotions, that we have emotions as scientists or researchers, so that these audiences will trust us more. It's this all-in-one magical package that unlocks the key to credibility with audiences that we haven't been able to reach. There's an industry that's grown up around storytelling in the research space, and we're awash in storytelling right now. So I don't think it's just on social media and in media in general, in the traditional media. It's also in the research space. We're being told over and over again, we have to tell stories and we have to tell better stories. Where has this notion come from? Well, there's very good evidence that shows that just giving people information doesn't convince them, doesn't move them because they're coming from certain mindsets that may be resistant to the information. And also because they're more likely to trust the people that they live next to, that they live nearby, the people in their family, the people that they've had relationships with for decades or generations, rather than some expert who comes from a perceived elite institution like a university telling them what to do. And so it is really a matter of trust and Science has been and research has been less and less successful with the transaction of giving people information and seeing behavior change. So there is a very properly grounded concern with how do we change people's minds if information isn't doing the trick alone, if science and evidence isn't doing the trick alone. 
My only concern is that the pendulum seems to have swung the other way. And we're now thinking about stories as the way to talk to people rather than argument, persuasion, rhetorical devices, and values, really meeting them where they are through values. There are lots of other ways to convey authenticity other than storytelling. You know, if you look over the last sort of five to 10 years, probably longer, the decrease in trust of expertise and sort of gatekeepers, the well-documented kind of decline in, in people's, you know, belief in institutions or, or leadership figures as saying, well, what they say must be true. I'll just take that as a given. You know, if you if you do lose that and you're in this, you're kind of left adrift in this social media kind of world of all sorts of different things being told to you and not knowing what which might be true and not really trusting anybody, you know, then in that sort of situation, then, you know, the most powerful story in a way, the most effective emotional story to you is likely to be what you end up believing. And, you know, and that's where you can see things like QAnon and other conspiracy theories, which weave this sort of fantastical stories, you know, and in this case of QAnon, a kind of endless story that you're a part of and you're kind of part of sort of uncovering and solving, you know, this can be a very attractive thing for people, you know, it's akin, you get drawn into it akin to fiction because, you know, people have lost faith in in the kind of things that they use to discern between the real world and, and the fictional world. And therefore, it just becomes a case of sort of picking which fictional story tells your own story of the world to you most effectively. So I think, you know, storytelling is more and more important, but I think that's not a good thing, you know, because, you know, there should be other things that determine actually what people believe other than just what makes for the most emotional, the most sort of satisfying story in, in this sort of a scenario. I think if you think about the world today, we cannot actually understand or bear witness to what's happening in Syria and what, for instance, and this is just an example that I guess is in the forefront of my mind, through stories. I mean, how many stories have, you know, journalists and reporters and, you know, human rights activists have told about Syria? Stories are not enough. And we have to do other kinds of things that we cannot do through stories. We have to gather evidence. We have to analyse. We have to think. We have to change our mind. We have to engage in, in all kinds of conversations that are not reducible to simply exchanging stories. But, but I feel that, you know, the way that we are talking about all kinds of incredibly important events and forces and experiences that are in front of our eyes and that are demanding some kind of reckoning with us, we are constantly kind of reverting to storytelling. So let me tell you another story about another child in Syria. It's not enough. Of course, those stories need to be told, but they are sucking up too much oxygen. And the other kind of work that needs to be happening is simply being kind of pushed to the corners. There is a seduction, isn't there, about a well-told story? It really can touch our emotions. And we know from historical experience that emotions often betray rationality when we're talking about decision-making. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you know, there's this whole idea that we engage emotions through storytelling because it is that kind of timeless, universal thing. Yeah, that's that's what we say, that storytelling has always been around. It's We are hardwired, in a sense, to respond to stories. And even kind of, you know, the most rational person can be kind of 
penetrated, in a sense, by a story and their defences could be weakened by a story because there will be some kind of awakening of emotions. And I think Ira Glass, of course, you know, the famous mastermind of this American life and presenter of this American life, of course, I think he says something like the power of story is animal. And of course, it is about, you know, going kind of beyond our rationality and awakening our emotions and awakening those kind of responses that cannot be controlled by cognition or rationality. But while we shouldn't underestimate the influence and power of the story, we also need to be careful not to overestimate the long-term impact that stories can have. I wonder if we've completely given way to storytelling, Antony, in the way that we're told that we have. Certainly in the media, the media is, you watch Netflix, the basic unit is the story and storytelling. But I think about, for example, how vaccine hesitancy has declined in the United States where I live. Over the last four months, we had a number of groups, especially minority groups, that were showing really high levels of vaccine hesitancy. Blacks, Hispanics, other groups. Those levels of vaccine hesitancy have declined markedly over the last four months. And it's not because those groups were told stories, new stories about the vaccines. And it's also not because there was a change in messaging around the vaccines to those groups. It's because there were trusted messengers within those communities who started getting the vaccine. They started getting the vaccine and nothing happened. There weren't any bad side effects. And so people started to trust, They first of all, they their actions were based on the people that they trusted the most, which were their friends and their relatives, especially their older relatives who were getting the vaccines. And as far as I've been able to determine, story, the way we think about it, didn't have a lot to do with that. So I think we're operating sometimes at a different level that doesn't have anything to do with story. It's just seeing what happens in our communities and responding to it. It's that dynamic within the community that we trust the most, that if we're going to effectively communicate, we have to take advantage of. The danger is that we don't put enough time and effort into thinking about how we communicate about these issues and how we get past some of those big barriers that there are, that people have to engaging with these subjects that are not the same problems that you get when you're communicating about a regular issue. You know, where storage, a bit of storytelling might be what you need to just improve how you're communicating. This approach of storytelling as this method of taking anything and kind of simply turning it into something that will emotionally resonate with people, it's a good first step, but it's not the whole thing. And, and on these big challenges, you have to think more deeply than that, you know. And I think storytelling is a barrier to thinking more deeply about communication often because it's kind of suggests, it implies that there is a simple solution, a simple method that can be used. Whereas actually there are really deep, complex issues within culture, within psychology, within, you know, just the way that we respond to um, things that challenge our identities. You know, these are all things that need to be thought about deeply.
To me, you know, the caution is around how central storytelling is, how kind of self-evidently powerful and wonderful and universal and connecting us all together it is. It's not the story itself, it's where we put it and the kind of expectations we have built about it and the kind of burden we have placed on it to be the answer to all the questions. And storytelling is like this kind of little bit of smoke and mirrors that's making it very possible for us not to see the world as it is. Perspectives on the power of storytelling, a cautionary tale, proving there's not always a happy ending. Thanks to our guests, cultural historian and novelist Maria Tamarkin, Daniel Stanley, the founder of the Future Narratives Lab in the UK, Bob Lalish, the CEO and founder of Science Plus Story, and Nick Morgan, president of Public Words, Inc. Go to our website if you want further details. And if you value our podcast, please feel free to review us online. It certainly helps to spread the word. Karen Savanovitz is my Future Tense co-producer, I'm Anthony Fennell. Until next time, cheers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.